Hello and welcome to Rules of the Frame. My name is Riley Hardy. And mine is Connor Reed. Welcome, Connor Reed, to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. My first time, long time listener, first time caller. Yes. Mm, glad to have you. Just want to let you know you've won $100. Yes. Finally. <laughs> now we can pay off Simplecast. <laughs> That's right. Go ahead and uh, pay, for the, pay for the next year. Yeah, just, it's not that unless if it's deal. coming out of our own pockets, I mean, then it's, I mean, we basically are just paying them. <laughs> Thank you, Simplecast, for hosting us. We don't, yes. we don't want to make you mad. No, we're satisfied customers. Yes, yep. yes, we are. Yep, we like it. In fact, <laughs> if you want to sponsor us, no, they don't do that. Podcast, po- <laughs> no. podcast hosts don't, don't sponsor podcasts. Yeah. Didn't work like that. Anyway. No. Um, yeah, this is our show. Yeah. It's about movies. Mm-hmm. And we're in our at the end of our documentary series right now, actually. And yes. if you haven't listened to any of the others, please make sure to go back and listen to them and watch mm-hmm. the documentaries first. There's a lot of good films out there. That's right. What was our first one? I'm trying to remember. Uh, Grey Gardens. Grey Gardens. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, that which that seems like forever ago. That, I mean, that was back like whenever I would <laughs> had just moved to L.A. That's crazy. That's right. You just got, you're, you're fresh, fresh uh, Los An- Los Angelonian. Yes. Uh, Los Angelite. Los Angelite. However you... An angel. Angel, that's right. (laughs) Well, we're talking about a Peter Jackson film today. They Mm -hmm. Shall Not Grow Old. So it's a big blockbuster. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, It's not... It's uh, very different from his past films. It's definitely a new Mm. thing for him. So unlike anything he's ever done. So it's a documentary uh, about World War I. And it's using all mm-hmm. archival footage and archival interviews uh, in order to tell the story. Um, so it's pr- it's probably unlike anything that's ever been done before. I would say, as far as documentary, I mean, it's it's um, new territory. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely been documentaries, especially like war documentaries, that mainly consist of or that only consist of um, like documentary footage. Like I think. There's like a World War One in color and World War Two in color and like those sorts of things. That's like just the footage, maybe. I mm-hmm. I can't remember. I, guess, I watched. I guess what one makes it special in my mind is the fact that there's no narration. It's, it's, I mean, there is narration, but it's all yeah. uh, archival audio recordings from right. from soldiers. So, and that's that's all the narration you get. And so, uh, I thought that was pretty unique and cool. That's true. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Because I was I didn't even know about that going into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you like history, you're a history junkie. This will be a good mm-hmm. good one for you. Um, or if you like Peter Jackson films. <laughs> or if you like Peter Jackson films. It's weird because, like, you're trying to think of pe- about Peter Jackson and, like, what are his signatures, you know? Like, right. his style? And I don't know. You, I He's... couldn't really see that with this movie. But I guess we'll get into that later. But um, Yeah. Yeah, anyway. just the passion. But right. anyway, I'll, I'll give a, a summary, a quick yeah. summary for this film. So this film tells the story of the British troops in World War I, their lives from boot camp all the way up to the end of the war. Uh, the narrative is driven by footage from the war and stories from veterans as they relive the days of their time on the Western Front. There's also an incredible sense of boyish fantasy as the young men are brought into boot camp and are being prepped for war. But all of that changes when they're transported to France and encounter troops who have just come off the front. The glorious view of war is quickly shattered as they see the hellscape that is no man's land in the trenches. Life in the trenches is nasty, brutal, and oftentimes short. Bodies of horses and men lie strewn across the land, and a dark sense of humor grows in the men as a way to cope with the horrors of everyday life. Battles are won and lost, and many young men die needlessly. 
The world has changed and hardened, and soon the fighting stops, but at a great cost. The men return home expecting a hero's welcome, but no one wants to listen to them or employ them, and most are left with a puzzling sense of, why did we do and endure all that? And it's just this very intimate look at what it's like to be a soldier in World War One, or at least a British soldier in World War One. Um, and so kind of the key thing that I took away from this that plays into my two words is um, unexpected brotherhood, especially with some of the interviews later on with Peter Jackson himself was he was just astounded at how close these men got to each other. And even though there is like there's all these horrors going on, there's like this sense of camaraderie that happens in it where it's like you are surrounded by these people who might be the last people you ever see on earth. So you want to get close to them. And it was really the first time that most of these people expected genuine human beings that didn't have to put on airs for society and that could just be real and human and be kind and compassionate. And I mean, I just thought that that's such an amazing thing to come out of a war film. Mm, Definitely. That's great. Uh, my two words were polished memories because obviously this was a long time ago. This was World War One, And so a lot of the uh, footage has been, or I mean, all the footage has been uh, heavily remastered by Jackson and his team. And it's been kind of brought to the modern world a little bit. So like the original footage, since it was filmed in the uh, 1910s, you know, it was very... Uh, it was monochrome. It was uh, very fast, you know, short frame mm-hmm. rates. And so it, you know, whenever you see that footage played back, it's always uh, really quick and hoppy, you know, and jumpy. And, and so they did a lot of work to try and make it feel uh, smoother. And at the actual uh, rate of, I don't know yeah, what you call that. 24 frames. Yeah. Um, yeah, frame rate. Frame rate. And they colorized it, which was a yeah. pretty huge thing. Um uh, and and so they their their uh, their goal was to try and bring this bring this footage back to uh, you know back to the modern world and so I chose polished memories because it's kind of bringing all this it's giving it new life and it's all it's like this this old time I'm sure all these guys uh, you know I'm sure they have very vivid memories of these of the times that they had during the war but of course I don't know if we have I don't know if there are any World War One veterans still living oh no way but no uh, way (laughs) no definitely not yeah they would have had to been they'd be like they'd be like over 100 like 120 or something (laughs) yeah but anyway yeah they just they brought a new life to the to the footage and um and it's it's like you've never seen it like that before you know Mm -hmm. you've seen clips it was just uh something i'd never seen before so that's where i got mine yeah especially in this stage of history i feel like just anything before World War II, it's like you don't really expect documented footage of it, you know, where it's like everyone's seen like the footage of the storming of, at Normandy and like on the beaches and like, you know, troops walking throughout Germany and France and and just like, you know, that stuff, it's like that was like whenever the first rise of film and war just came up in general, mm-hmm. like and kind of the origin of, you know, just documenting war in that sort of sense really started off in the civil war whenever there were pictures taken at battlefields and all that but then this was kind of like the intermediary spot where it's not like really talked about a whole lot and there's not a whole lot of documentation 
in a media sense because it's like you know there's the classic pictures of like um gettysburg and all that you know of like the soldiers lying in the field that like every everyone who's taken the u.s history class mm-hmm. has seen that picture you it's know all the history books but, yeah Exactly. But it's like you don't really see like you might see a picture of the trenches or something, but it's not like there's like that like golden image that like everyone has seen, you know, that I think this is a really important piece of history, actually, that such care and was taken towards this subject because and I mean, World War Two is also an incredible and very important part of history. Mm -hmm. But that I feel like is kind of the war that gets put at the front. Like that's what all the war films are made about. That's what all the documentaries are made about is World War II. And so it's really fascinating to just hear this sort of like in-depth, like having a director of that caliber put on this sort of a passion project and put it out there. Like I feel like it really spreads the word because of that. And that's really important. Definitely. Yeah, I agree with you. World War One does not get uh, enough uh, attention for things like mm-hmm. this, you know? There aren't many yeah. World War One documentaries. This is one of few, uh, and it's crazy how uh, that this footage has never seen the light of day. Like, why has nobody yeah. um, done anything with it? It's like this is the first time we're seeing a lot of that, and there was so much more that we didn't even see. And I think that they actually mm-hmm. restored uh, like all of it. So I think I think Jackson's team. Hmm. I think I read that Jackson's team restored all the footage, even even the stuff that they didn't actually use. Uh, which was hmm. pretty cool, just for archival yeah. uh, purposes. Um, so that's fascinating to me. And when I think of World War One, I, I always think of trench warfare. That's kind of what differentiates it in my yeah. mind from World War Two. Uh, at least exactly. that's kind of how I always did growing up, you know. So it was really cool to hear the stories of these guys, or mm-hmm. hear, hear the the one story that was being told. Uh, right. Yeah. It was really cool how they told the story. So they decided not to use any subtitles for like this person is speaking right now like this is this mm-hmm. uh, you know this soldier this soldier uh, all of this captain yeah, this you know, all of these so. audio bites were just stitched together but you don't know who's who so mm-hmm. the purpose of that was just to kind of present the story of the, the same story that all the soldiers had uh, of what life was like back then that was the ultimate goal of this documentary i think was to show people what it was like to be in world war one at least for the British yeah. side, even though I'm sure it was the same for a lot of other countries. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, it did not feel, it actually went by really quick. I mean, I guess it's not that long yeah. a documentary, but... Um, it's like an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, but even then it still felt really quick. Yeah, it definitely did. I think, um, I mean, one of the fascinating points about it is also in an interview with Jackson afterwards, uh, they went through 600 hours of audio interviews with over 200 soldiers Mm -hmm. and i mean that is just so much information to go through and so they had a really hard time you know trying to decide what are we going to pick up what are we going to use and all that but he said um for every story that one man had 10 men had said the other thing exactly and so he's like this story is the story of every soldier because every person went through this and we decided not to go through and have like have it be like individual stories where um one person was like and i was the one that ran over to the other side and just like you know obliterated all of the germans Mm. in the trenches and you know and then i was the war hero of the day he didn't he decided not to do anything like that of any like kind of um unusual encounters because he wanted it to be like the everyman story and that's really what this film is Mm -hmm. all the audio bites were stitched together really fast that might be my one 
criticism maybe was like they it just it was happening so fast and i had subtitles on i don't know if you did but no i, I didn't I feel like i would have i would not have caught a lot of stuff had i not had subtitles on mm-hmm. uh because yeah they just went through a ton of i mean i mean you're, you're listening to the stories like that's what you're doing it's like yes, right you're seeing the footage on screen but uh it's like it, the footage wouldn't be nearly what it is if it didn't have the audio behind it. And so I was mm-hmm. I was really focused in on like reading those subtitles because I wanted to make sure I got everything in because uh, it happened so fast. And so that might be one of my criticisms of it. Of course, I'm not sure what how we would have could have done it differently. I guess just maybe altered the pacing a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it felt pretty yeah. fast. Maybe maybe just a little too fast for my taste. Hmm. Yeah, because for me, I don't think it was the rapidity of it that was the issue, but. There was like just a couple interviews where the audio quality wasn't as good as some of the other ones. And yeah. so it was just like a little bit harder to hear exactly what they said. And I caught like most of it. And I think it helps, you know, that I've like spent time in the UK. So I'm more used to those yeah. accents That's and right. like can kind of, you know, it's not a sort of thing of like, okay, you know, trying to like almost translate it over mm-hmm. into my mind. But, you know, just kind of, I don't know. Yeah. goes by right but yeah i i mean really powerful stuff that they say and i i mean some of my favorite ones are just like at the beginning where the german and england rugby match and then they see like the sign posted up saying you know we are at war with germany and then they're like just look at each other and like well the war doesn't start till tomorrow and <laughs> decide to keep on playing the rugby game like that's just uh, incredible that's awesome yeah, yeah. i feel like there are lots of stories like that mm-hmm. um so they colorized the footage and mm. They did a lot, I think, to like smooth it out. And at, at first, yeah. I was actually pretty like put off by it, by the way it hmm. looked. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It felt in like the it was it had this smooth like interpolation. They had to mess with that because of yeah. the frame rate and stuff. And so some of that yep. just looked really obvious. But I got over that pretty quick, just because mm-hmm. the the impressiveness of it kind of just overcame the the weirdness of it i guess and i just got i got used to the way it looked and and then i was like okay you know what this is pretty this is pretty cool and pretty special mm-hmm. it, it is kind of like jarring a little bit at first you have to get used to it yeah. but to me it, it almost improved it because it made it feel like almost dreamlike to have like a little bit of the blurriness of it and i mean to me like a lot of the shots and like the way it was like painted back i was like just feels like an impressionist painting you yeah, know yeah, like yeah. And it was like really cool and made it seem like, I don't know, more artistic in that sense where it's not just like, oh, this is like newsreel footage, you know, mm-hmm. you know, view from the front lines. But it's like, no, this is like a painting and right. like there's a lot going on here. Yeah. And Yeah. I don't even know how you go about uh, like doing the coloring and stuff. I know that mm-hmm. Jackson went back to some of the original locations to like kind of observe it and see what it actually looked like. Um, yeah. But even so, I'm just like, I'm thinking about how they did all that stuff i'm sure it was all on a computer but it's like how do they know Mm -hmm. these big dirt pile mounds like how do they know where Mm -hmm. to add bits of brown and bits of black and bits of grass it's like how do they know how to Mm -hmm. how to do all that i mean it's all the sort of stuff where you have to zoom in really close to work on each individual detail and then you like go at it for a bit and then zoom out and you're like oh, what looked good, like really close up when zoomed out, it's like, that doesn't look real at all. Okay, we need to shade that a little bit more darker or that needs to be a little lighter. And mm-hmm. I mean, they had like references, you know, of going to the Imperial War Museum and mm-hmm. having like access to all of the uniforms and like yeah. all the guns and the tanks and like just everything like that. And so I think that really helps yeah. out. And, yeah, 
And it was interesting because he was saying like, I, I learned a lot through this process and it's not an issue of like technology because the technology can do it. It's an issue of time because mm-hmm. if we had been given more time, it would have looked even better than it is right now. Yeah. That's interesting. Would it really have though? I don't know. It's like you can only do so much with the raw footage, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's got more magic tricks that I'm unaware of, but when you spend too long on some kind of pro- on a project and like you you mm-hmm. overkill, you know, and you kind of lose some of the authenticity of it. Yeah. So I wonder if if that would have happened, but I don't know. I feel like it was good the way it was, you know. Me too. It's just like mind numbing from like the Photoshop classes I've taken at JBU. And we had this project where we had to take a black and white picture and colorize it. And it was so hard because you think like you get like all the tones down, like you can match it over. And then you look and you're like, that just doesn't look real at all. Like getting the right tone for everything is a very difficult process. Yeah. Because I remember seeing like World War Two in color and I bits and pieces of world war one in color and i was like this does not look right like yeah they just look kind of weird for the record like most of the movies that are shot in black and white and then are later released in a colored version it's not worth the trouble (laughs) it looks really bad yeah and there's no point to it because no you know this isn't archive footage like they they specifically (laughs) shot it in black and white it was lit in such a way that would look good on black and white and and i don't know it's just kind of a gimmicky they just want to, you know, release an encounter. Ah, the kids will like it this yeah. way. <laughs> exactly. It'll make it more accessible to the to Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I even remember going on Amazon and finding some of, like, Fritz Lang's, like, older films. And then it was weird because they'd have the original, but then it would have it, and it's, like, in color. And I was like, what? Why, why did they do that? And, like... Just like watching bits and pieces of him, like this looks horrible. Like this is so bad. It's not shot like this. You light differently right. for black and white than you do for color. Like, ugh, it's not gonna yeah. work. It's just like, yeah, it's just for the kids because some kids are just they just refuse to watch anything in black and white, you know, I, I or they know. refuse to watch anything that's not a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. So I have lots of friends right now where it's like I'll try to show them a movie and they're like. Oh, I just don't like black and white movies. I'm like, yeah. that makes no sense. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're just used to what they're used to. They just yeah. probably weren't raised on it. I feel like that's another important thing. Because like, I, I was, I grew up watching Andy Griffith, so right. I wasn't, I and was like never our gang, and yeah, and so I was never really put off by that because I was just used to seeing it and I was comfortable in it. But some people, it's mm-hmm. like as soon as they see the black and white, they instantly zone out because they just they can't connect to it for some reason it's kind of sad yeah and to me it's like more calming more interesting like i almost prefer like black and white photography over color photography it's it's just uh, beautiful yeah it's like less distracting it's more focused Mm -hmm. because you're not uh you're not concerned with the color so that's one less thing to to pull your attention away from the subject material maybe Mm -hmm. um yeah and there's just some of them where it's just lit and it's just so relaxing. Like Dr. Strange Love to Me is one of the most relaxing films really? that I've ever seen just because like there's this like crisp, harsh light and then it just kind of like glows over everything else. And so I just feel so relaxed mm-hmm. watching that movie. I haven't seen that one yet. Amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. But they really did an impressive job on this film. And I mean, just listening to the process of how they had to like go in because you know back then cameras were all hand cranked and so a photographer would go out set up his box and then start cranking it 
and then basically depending on how fast he was cranking it would depend or determine the speed of the footage so if you're just like filming like an infantry line marching or something like I don't know more behind the scenes it's like okay you know a more steady hand but it's like if you're filming there's like bombs going off near you it's like you're cranking it really fast so they're having to go through yeah. every single one of these frames and like match it up and because they need to match it to 24 frames a second yeah. which is what we film in but he's like a lot of times it's like 12 frames a second or 14 or like 17 yeah. and and so there's these big gaps like in between like you you think about it as like like a linear graph and that there's like dashes and each dash is a frame and that's like 24 frames is when you start so when you compare that to like 14 frames there's just a lot of gaps and that's like why it looks so jumpy and you know just not realistic or or at least not um visually realistic to right. as to like what we see when we are on locations and so they had to put it through computers which would match the frames like in between it would take like the first frame and the second frame and then basically make a composite of the two and create the frames that were in between like on that line yeah and that's just like insane it's really fascinating i don't know how they did it with footage like because most modern tvs do this it's called it's yes. called interpolation i think is the normal word mm-hmm. that is used but the first thing i do with any tv is, is turn that off because <laughs> it looks so weird it, it gives it uh the soap opera effect mm-hmm. which is you know it, that that's when it like looks too smooth and it looks like you're no longer watching a movie you're watching actors on a set and you can like tell mm-hmm. they're wearing costumes and it 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 ruins the suspense of disbelief, uh, mostly because of the frame rate. That's, that plays a huge role. Um, yeah. But, uh, I remember the first time I experienced that, too. I was in a Sears, and I was, like, walking through the TV, like, the electronic section, and they had, like, this big TV up. And they're like, now with, you know, whatever settings and all that. And they were playing uh, the Avengers on it. And I had already seen it in theaters, and I just, like, it's like, that looks so weird. Yeah. Why does it look so weird? Like, Every time they move, it doesn't look real. Yeah. Like, what is going on? That's how it was on my grandmom's TV growing up all the time. And I was like, huh. I never knew why. Why does grandma's TV always look different? And then, she's, <laughs> of course, she doesn't know any better to turn that off. So, mm-hmm. um, But, you know, it might actually help for, like, video games. I don't know. Yeah. Just yeah. to help it be more smooth if, you know, if it's like a... Maybe like sports or something, Or maybe too. sports, yeah. Something that you actually want to look kind of hyper real and right. in the real world, but for... Movies, I definitely recommend turning that off. Yes. So find the settings, find it in your guide, yeah. turn it off. Just Google it because they're out there. They all have different names to them, too. Yeah. It's like, I think on Vizio, it's Clear Action. It's the yep. name of it. You have to turn that off. That's a little public service announcement there. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. We care about your viewing experience. We do. Make sure that your HDMI is put into the right port with HDR. <laughs> yes, that's right. We want the full color spectrum. The yes. full color gamut. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> never make that mistake again in my life. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it works so well in this. I mean, because mm-hmm. it, it was almost something that I didn't even notice until afterwards and like reading about it and watching interviews about it. I was like, oh, yeah. Like I, I went back and watched um, some footage from World War One because for all of you out there, especially history people, you can go to the Imperial War Museum website. They have like, hundreds of hours of world war one footage that you can watch on there it's like all over the place it's astounding and so i watched like quite a bit of it and it's i mean it really is amazing but i mean just the jumpiness really does take it out of take you out of it because yeah. you know it's like people are basically like hopping from one 
spot to the next and their arms like like almost look like they're disconnected sometimes and (laughs) yeah and that was something that you know they added in it's like this little touch that most documentarians don't even think about i feel like like all other world war one documentaries don't fix that Mm -hmm. and like just that makes it so much more real Mm -hmm. it just makes it more relatable because when it's black and white and it's lower frame rate, and it's dirty and gritty. It's just it's mm-hmm. a further step removed from your reality, from your world. Right. And so Jackson's kind of unraveled it. You know, he's brought it back to us in, in a way mm-hmm. that is a little bit more relatable and that we can identify with better. And we're, we're kind of mm-hmm. able to, to put ourselves in that situation easier than we could, I think. Right. If, if it were not uh, edited the way it was. It is really fascinating to see it in color as well because, I mean, that's just yeah. something I would never think of. It's just like, oh, let's, you know, put all this footage in color. And, yeah. And it really does a lot to it and, I mean, makes them, these people, like, more human and you can just kind of, like, connect with them because of that and, like, see it through their lens instead of, like, looking at footage like that and seeing, like, oh, I'm just basically seeing a history book right now. Right. Did you have a favorite scene or a favorite thing that you saw on screen that you hadn't really seen before the mines going off that was insane that was just so crazy Mm -hmm. i read a couple like world war one books for this episode and just like reading about it it's like oh now i understand like why these terms are these terms the reason like why they were called mines is because you would literally dig um like in like 90 feet into the ground and then like dig a tunnel up under the enemy's trenches Mm -hmm. lay a bunch of bombs like in the mine shaft go back down and then set them off wow yeah gosh yeah it's crazy so they actually were mining mm-hmm. they were actually <laughs> mining yeah people were recorded as like the biggest sound ever made or the loudest sound ever made before like atomic bombs mm. um was at the battle of passchendaele whenever the british soldiers went and put gosh i want to say i think it was like a million tons of tnt underneath german lines gosh. and like set it all off at once at like four in the morning or something like that. And it was just like literally like I think thousands of people just evaporated in seconds, oh you know, and they said they could hear it in London. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just ruin their hearing. Yeah. Like, cause they don't have earplugs, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm sure that was, there was permanent damage there. Mm-hmm. Especially the people firing the artillery shells, like mm-hmm. for weeks at a time, I'm like, they have to be deaf by the yeah. end of this. I mean, it's so loud. So, so, so loud. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And it was just incredible hearing like the sounds of the mines and the cannons explode or the shells exploding. But then also there's like the shotgun blasting that they did where there's like the the barrel that they launch up and then it would like basically shoot out shrapnel, you know, over into the trenches. Oh, yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. I think the shrapnel is like the scariest part about warfare for me because it's like Mm -hmm. I think it's one thing to to just get shot in the chest, you know, by a single bullet. But just right. knowing that like a million tiny pieces of metal are just coming at you and going to you know, rip mm-hmm. through your flesh, that's a lot scarier than than someone standing with a gun pointing it at you. I don't right. know. That's just, that scares me a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's this story of this British soldier who was like walking along the battle lines in line with um, his other men. And then there was an explosion that went off like kind of right next to them. And then, like, the guy in front of him, like, stops. And he, like, like hits him with his gun. He's like, you know, keep moving. And he's like, I can't, sir. I'm blind. And so he, like, walks around and see that, like, shrapnel had basically just destroyed, like, all of his face. Oh. And then he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And just, like, kept on walking. Oh, my gosh. 
Yeah, by the way, sorry, this is going to get pretty gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of... There's shit. also going to be a history yeah. podcast in this, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah a lot, we got to see a lot of dead bodies on the ground and see the blood. Mm. Uh, yeah so they didn't that's something that was yeah they didn't hold back hard because <laughs> you just see like the footage and it's different if it's in black and white but whenever you see like a bloody body on the ground it's like that's mm-hmm. that affects you very differently than seeing a dead body in black and white yeah. you know and, it's true mm-hmm. yeah. or even just wounded soldiers with like these bloody bandages all over their face mm-hmm. and all that is horrifying yeah Oof. and mm. i i like how they or how Jackson didn't include any names of the locations. Mm. I thought that was yeah. cool too. Not he didn't didn't want to draw attention to like a specific place or time. Mm-hmm. Uh, or yeah, he didn't want to draw any attention to like single battles that happened, but just the mm-hmm. pure experiences that they went through. So I thought that was kind of cool. Definitely makes it seem like one story, which was his goal, right. instead of just like being like a series of events. It's literally just about these soldiers stories and seeing the everyday life is something you don't really think of whenever you see war documentaries it's more of like this is what the fighting was like this is what this is like but you get all of these little tidbits in there where it's just like stuff that you never even think about of like all the rats and the frogs and like the bottom of the trenches and like combing the lice out of them and like where do they go to the bathroom because that was something i always thought about whenever i was reading like about that in history class i was like how did they go to the bathroom in the trenches? Like, did they just squat in the trench? And I'm sure they did sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, they show... Seeing them all in the beams. Yeah, the beams. That's what I was going to say. Ugh, that's kind of gross. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I guess that's how they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, oof. Could you handle doing that? You... Uh, I don't know. I lived in J. Alvin, so maybe. <laughs> that's right. We can take it. We can take anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah. thought it was cool how they started the story in in black and white, and mm-hmm. uh, before you know they had gotten to the war, and they told uh, or we got to hear the the stories of people who were underage because they yeah. would they would go enlist and then they would ask them, okay, how old are you? It's like sixteen, and then the person would say, oh, you need to go back outside. And come back in and then tell me you're you're 18. <laughs> or you need to go have a birthday. Or 19, yeah. Or 19, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, go outside, have mm-hmm. a birthday, and come back in. <laughs> yeah. And the same sort of thing was actually happening in America whenever America wasn't in the war, but Canada was. And Americans would, like, go up north to Canada to the recruitment stations and walk in. And they'd be like, all right, what's your nationality? And they'd be American. He's like, okay, go outside, walk around the block, come back in Canadian. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, this one's only told from the the British side, but I think they figured the story was universal enough mm-hmm. to be reflective of every country, which I guess would be yeah. true for the most part. Mm-hmm. I think it's a smart idea because whenever you're trying to cover the story of a war that took place around the world in an hour and a half, it is very hard to tell everyone's stories. And so I think it's really smart to just hone in. And it's not even the whole British front. It's like, no, this is just the West, the British on the Western front. This doesn't have to do with anything in the Mediterranean or like any other offensives like that. Anything in Africa, yeah. nothing. It's just like France mm. and Germany. That's cool. Not even the aerial stuff or the boat stuff or like anything. That's right. Yeah. Just the trench warfare mainly. I mean, it was all the trenches. Mm-hmm. And then the, yeah. the few occasions where they ventured out. Uh, yeah, gruesome stories. They would just tell... Mm. 
people getting ripped to shreds and I mean, it, it was really kind of the change in war where it stopped being like this glorious thing after that because there was all these things. And that that's like the astounding part to me was like this is literally like the turn of the century where everything changes because these people were like they started off fighting how like tactics like used in the Revolutionary War where they would just meet each other on the battlefield, except they had machine guns instead of mm -hmm. long muskets that would most likely miss. Yeah. The phrase they were cut down. The reason why was because whenever they're storming out of the trenches, like the opposing side would have their machine guns level at the trenches. And so it'd just be the stream that would literally just cut them down because it would hit them in their legs and they just get mowed down. I just wonder about it because like, how does that warfare even work? It's like you can barely get a shot at one another. It's like as soon mm -hmm. as one person ventures out and goes forward, they're going to get shot, you know, because people exactly. are watching. So, like, how how do you win that battle? <laughs> you know, how do you win <laughs> that struggle? You just it hope just, that people can make it through. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, everyone's going to die. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, the yeah. machine guns, I think, were, like, the biggest threat because they, mm -hmm. they put their most skilled uh, shooters on the machine guns and just mow people down. Mm -hmm. Or in the sniper's nest because you, you could just be, like, walking around in the trench and all of a sudden you know you get shot in the head like there's this story um told by uh, the poet robert graves who was a soldier in world war one about like men trying to get out of the service and so hoping to get lightly wounded so that they could get sent home and there was this guy who was like in the trenches and like held his hand out for like an hour and it didn't get shot and held his other hand out and it didn't get shot and then put his legs up and stood you know on his hands for a while and he didn't get shot and then he's like, well, there's no one out there. And then like peered over and then got shot in the head. Oh, my goodness. That's how it was, you know, like, I mean, you could literally just die at any second, mm -hmm. you know, and that's like where like shell shock comes in, where you're just getting like bombarded for like days or weeks or months at a time. Mm -hmm. And like with the constant threat of death over every second of you, like, you know, the mind isn't built to sustain that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It has yeah. to have a break. I just can't comprehend it. Um, mm -mm. Did you, uh, yeah? Did you feel any kind of Peter Jackson signature or staple in this in the movie? Could you tell? Could you, could you see any Peter Jackson fingerprints? I the fascinating thing to me was I think it's actually reversed where I see how this affected Peter Jackson's filmmaking. Like oh. I could tell this is stuff that he grew up filming or grew up watching because just like the effect of like the way that World War One is fought and like it kind of is synonymous with Tolkien and his experience in the Great War um, and how that affected his writing on the Lord of the Rings mm. because it's like just like it's mainly the battles where I see it at mm. where it's like that's where I see the similarities like visually and just kind of the scope of things yeah. is relating to this. Yeah and I'm not well versed in Peter Jackson to begin with. Uh, I mean I've mm -hmm. seen the Lord of the Rings and King Kong. Those are actually the mm. only ones I've seen. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. But I know he's done Heavenly Creatures. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, I haven't seen that. Yeah, and then before that he's you know, he's done some some weird stuff. His first one was Bad Taste, I think. Gosh dang it, that was one of the trivia oh, questions. <laughs> yes. Shoot, well now I gotta think of another one. <laughs> yeah. And The Frighteners, that was another one. Yeah, the Frighteners. That was one of his later ones. I think that was the one he made before doing this. But yeah, so like, right? Because I've seen Lord of the Rings, King Kong, Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, which was like his parody on the Muppets, and basically doing an adult version of that, which is also very disturbing. 
Um, and then I haven't seen all of Dead Alive, but I've seen some scenes of it, and that is it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's just it's strange to think that he landed the gig for Lord of the Rings, you know? Yeah. Because the movies before Doesn't that... Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's like he had never done anything of that scope mm-hmm. uh, or that style, really. And then, like, he, he nailed it out of the park. Like, no one's done an epic like him since, you know, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And yet he yeah. had never done it either. He didn't have any experience doing it. He just did it that, that one time and just like, holy crap. It was so perfect. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, so that's fascinating to me. Yeah, he has an interesting mm-hmm. filmography. Like this is a, mm-hmm. and this one's just as weird as his other ones. I feel like. Yeah. But not kind in a bad out of way. The blue. But if you had told me like, way back when, it's like, oh yeah, the guy who did Lord of the Rings, he's gonna make a a war documentary. I'd be like, what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange. But it is a very personal thing for him, and I think that's one of the yeah. reasons why this connects so well is because, you know, like his his grandfather fought in World War One, mm-hmm. and um, and the film is, like, dedicated to him, and he's just always had this fascination with it. And so I – and another reason why I think that the Lord of the Rings films are so good is because of that, because mm-hmm. they had, like, that same sort of mindset of, like, you know, understanding, like, the brotherhood um that came about through this and like just kind of the carnage of it and i feel like he made he probably wouldn't have done this had it not been for his connection with his grandfather and everything it's like maybe Mm. he would have but i don't know this this was personal to him because of that and Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know if i see a reason why he would have done it otherwise he didn't take a salary no so i think it was also just a kind of like his thing of this is the way that we teach people nowadays is through films like this and this is a subject that's very important that a lot of people don't focus on. And he actually made a deal with, like, I think, just like British government, so that whenever uh, they finished this, like the week after it premiered, it was sent to every single history class in the UK, mm. like uh, public schools. That's cool. Yeah. It kind of has that feel to it, like a a, a school movie, you know, like an educational mm-hmm. film, to be. But like a really good one. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't mean that mm-hmm. in a demeaning way at all, but. It's like perfectly fits that type of film. Like it's extremely educational. Like I was just learning yeah. the whole time, you know. Mm-hmm. But you almost don't realize that you you are, yeah. because it's just so fascinating and it's so story driven. That's one of the reasons why it's so effective. Yeah. What's his next documentary? You think? <laughs> I thought I saw something that he's doing a Beatles documentary. Is he really? Yeah. Do we really he need, loves the Beatles? Do we really need another Beatles documentary though? You never know. Could be good. <laughs> How many are there? There's so many, though. It's like, don't we know the um, Beatles at this point? Yeah, but I mean, they are the most influential band of all time. So. <laughs> There's more documentaries on the Beatles than there are on Jesus. Is that I true? I don't know if that's true or not. I just okay, made that I was like, I kind of doubt that, but is that just the John Lennon quote? <laughs> no, I don't I have no idea. To, no, I just made oh, that up. Oh, because like, that was his big, oh, yeah, was like, uh, well, the big oh, controversial right. he point. He did say that. He's like, he was like, we're bigger than Jesus. That's right. That's funny. Yeah. No, I didn't mean to. That's when all the religious groups started burning the records. <laughs> yeah. This is really, it just seems like an odd documentary, too, because you think of a documentary as it's like, okay, it's this, it's about this like subject, like usually a person, and it's so like personal and intimate, which this is, but it's not just about one person. It's about like a whole event, and that's the crazy part to me is like, it's so nondescriptive, but so well-informed and so um so personal in that 
in that respect as well. And it's just, I mean, it's just fascinating because it's like I can't think of another documentary like this that just tackles a whole four years, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. puts it all in an hour half hour and a half story, and you feel like, yeah, I know this. Yeah, and I feel like the main character of this movie is you, you know? It's like it's us because mm-hmm. as he's telling the story, I'm just imagining myself doing all these things. Like, wow, but would mm-hmm. I even have the guts to do that? It's like, would I have the gumption to, to uh, you know, to run this guy down, to stab him with mm-hmm. a bayonet? It's like, would I be able to do all these things? And, uh, and so I kind of feel like we're the main character in this story, or at least it makes yeah. me feel that way, you know? Definitely, and I think, Another reason why it's so powerful yeah. is because there's like this element to it where you do kind of feel like you live it. I mean, there's, you know, you don't experience anywhere near the horrors and like terrors and all of that. And it's like, we only have to live through an hour and a half of it instead of four years. And, yeah. um, but you really do. It's just like an insider look instead of saying like, this is this event. Here's some footage of it. Here's some of this event. Here's some more footage of it. And, it's not like stale in any sort of sense. And um, I watched a couple other World War One documentaries and it was all about like, this is the past and this is how this past event worked and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they were really interesting and good. But this is so personal because it, it treated it almost like it's an event that's going on right now. And you're like getting to see into it. Like it didn't feel dated in the sense of like, people saying like this is how this affected this later on in the war and you know there was like no political side to it which was just crazy like it was all just about this is this person's journey through this thing that they think they know they're fighting for but then question it in the end yeah and i wonder if like the sound effects helped with that too just the more immersion you know just it's another level of immersion which kind of gives it a self-sustaining life i think might be where some Mm -hmm. of that's coming from I, I liked the perspective that they gave kind of near the end of the film about what the soldiers were going through when the war ended and mm. when they were like, man, I kind of feel like it's like, what next? I'm kind of, kind of feel like I'm out of a job. Like, yeah. I just feel like I got fired, you know? And they were kind mm-hmm. of like, there was almost an element of, of like, what am I going to do next? Like kind of out of like sadness mm-hmm. that it's over sort of in a, in a weird way. And then they had kind of, some of them had, issues you know going back to civilian life like one of the guys tried to sleep in a bed but when his mother came up in the morning he was like sleeping on the floor because he couldn't handle the bed Mm -hmm. you know it was just too weird and so it was kind of cool hearing some of those stories about how they uh how they came back to normal life you know yeah because you you see this sort of stuff and you're like wow they should be treated as heroes and should like come back to like this huge welcoming back and it's like people would be like oh let me hire you up you fought for our country and it's just like they just didn't understand mm-hmm. like no one understood because everyone was still in the mindset that they were in whenever they left where it's like war is this glorious thing that we go off and like you know it's just it's very patriotic it's very clean and you get to do all these heroes things and then just like realizing the dirtiness of it and like yeah. the gruesomeness and the horror and all that and no one else experienced that and so, like, going back and people's parents, like, not even wanting to hear about it. Because they're like, oh, we know what it's like. We know what war's yeah, like. They just, it's like, no, you don't. They just, like, never even asked them. Or never even bothered yeah. to, like, inquire, you know. It was just like, oh, they're back. You know, it's mm-hmm. back to normal. Everyone else is still, like, has these blinders on. And they're like, no, this is, like, what this is really like. This is what, like, life is really like. And you guys just don't get it. It's like the hero's journey of you start off as, like, wide-eyed, innocent. And then along the way, 
you gain some knowledge and like you use that to overcome it in the end. But it's like you're going back to like the place where it's like no one else has gone through the journey. And so you're like, you people just don't know and you just can't understand. Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine how difficult that would be and like how awful that is. Mm -hmm. Great movie. What about the music? Do you remember the music? Not a whole lot, really. I don't either. But I know that it was a New Zealand musician. Um, okay. But huh. that's a, that's kind of all I know. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if there really was much music through, mm -hmm. throughout. But I know that there was at the end and then maybe a few times. But I think a few... Right. I guess he... I remember like a couple songs being sung by soldiers, um, like of the times. And like songs that they would sing in the trenches or like on war marches or that sort of thing. Right. Uh, that's really it because I feel like the music is just like staccatoed with like the dropping of shells and just like the rhythm is the narration of the soldiers yeah but the sound design yeah cool. it's, crazy. it's incredible mm -hmm. they added in uh, not only just sound effects but like people talking like I think mm -hmm. one guy was giving a speech to his troops and they kind of they did a voice recording of that, like a voiceover, mm -hmm. trying to mimic what that speech was. And and mm -hmm. there was various other things peppered in here and there of people shouting and, you know, mm -hmm. calling each other by name or things like that. And yeah. uh, They had professional lip readers come in and tell, like, what the people were saying and then record that dialogue afterwards. And Yeah, it's crazy. Like, you don't even notice. Like, I, I would for keep on forgetting. I'm like, oh, yeah, they didn't have sound recording back then and it's like it just seems like it naturally goes with it and it's like every little sound is put in there because you watch other world war one documentaries and they'll put in like shells dropping and like maybe the sound of gunfire in the background and just kind of some like you know like people like yelling but it's like this like they took every single sound in there and made sure to make it mm -hmm. like people sh boots slopping around in the mud and, yeah exactly you know like all the guns being sounds. cocked and yeah 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 it's funny because those were the things at first that I was like, what are you doing? Like, this is, I feel like this is, is it, this is kind of tarnishing the original, but it's like the more I watched it, mm -hmm. the more I was able to appreciate it and, and understand what exactly he was doing. But right. it's like, yeah, all, all the things that I was put off by it at first, I grew to like. So it was, it was interesting. Yeah. And it was fun too, just like, I feel like for... Jackson, I feel like he just loved this. Like that was kind of the sense that I got of him just yeah. like loving recreating those sounds because he like brought out his own personal archive of like World War One guns and artillery mm. and all that. And so they like got the exact like units that were being shot and fired and like recorded the sounds of that, which is crazy. Wow. Like you know, the that. shells exploding and the tank treads, like or it may have been like a replica of like a tank from World War One, or maybe they just had one and just like recorded the, the tread sounds you know like what right. that sounded like on the dirt and what that sounded like on gravel and like mm -hmm. all of those things and like you know the sound of like shrapnel and all that it's mm -hmm. crazy yeah it's funny because like all the action stuff is a, a lot of what we couldn't see like with them actually mm -hmm. fighting the enemy and they didn't really have footage for that so they um they used uh war propaganda art mm -hmm. at the time to kind of illustrate some of the some of the battle sequences in the middle and mm. um so that was kind of cool because he didn't you know, he obviously didn't want to do any reenacting or anything right. like that so he wanted to keep it all period appropriate and so mm -hmm. it's like all of that art was created during that same time so that mm -hmm. was really cool even though it was propaganda and so like it showed <laughs> <laughs> it showed the germans being real cowardly and like the british were like mm -hmm. 
very heroic, kind of like mm-hmm. what you were saying earlier. But so that was yeah. kind of interesting. Although they didn't really show that in the movie, that they, they cropped it out a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff that was a little, yeah. a little over the top, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like okay, this you know this would take me out of yeah. it. <laughs> um, so here's a question that I just have to you relating towards documentaries. Um, how do you feel about them showing like? dead people on film because it's it's interesting how differently it is like case by case because mm. for grizzly man which is the film uh we last reviewed you know it, it's the sort of thing where it's like you're not this is a spoiler alert for grizzly man um you're not going to show the remains of timothy treadwell because you know it's just like like out of respect for the dead it's like you you're not going to show his body like pictures of his body just like torn apart but especially for war documentaries, it's okay to just show masses and masses of dead people. But if it's like an individual's story, it's different. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say. I I feel like whenever we don't know their name and we don't know Mm -hmm. who they are, then it's more palatable. Yeah. And yeah, just like when it's Timothy Treadwell, maybe it's, it's too much. Like that's too much for us to take in actually knowing knowing the people who knew him, knowing the people who loved him and understanding mm-hmm. his story, that might be a little, just too much for us to take in. Whereas just an unidentified soldier is kind of representative of all the dead unidentified soldiers. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't really think about that, but it's a good point. There's kind of a difference there. And even just kind of showing the gruesomeness because there was some gruesomeness in this, but like, it was nothing incredibly graphic, but there's this other um, documentary called Night and Fog, which is absolutely incredible, and I think everyone needs to see it. But it's um, uh, it's basically about um, like the concentration camps in World War II, and showing like photographs and footage of the concentration camp with like this poem being read over it. Mm. Um, but there's like brutal images in there, like severed heads like laying in a pile and like you know just bodies strewn all over the place and just like you know how did how does that factor in of like the gruesomeness as well it's like is there some stuff where it's like that's too much to show you know and we shouldn't do that or how much of it is um you know it's part of history and people need to know like how brutal it was and how awful it was yeah that's really interesting I don't know. It's like, how do you even determine what's too much? It, it kind of makes me think mm-hmm. of like, who who are the, I mean, not, not movie studios, but the people in charge of like giving film ratings and stuff. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you can show like a dead body, but you can't show a severed head. It's like, it gets real specific about the things you can mm-hmm. and cannot show in order for you to like get. Like how much blood. Yeah. It's like, exactly. Like it's too, if it's too stylistic or. Uh, or not stylistic enough, maybe. I don't know. It's like there's mm-hmm. a lot of very specific things that will get you one rating versus the other. Yeah. And so. Because you can have people just get like mowed down in a film, but as long as any blood spurts out of it, it'll be PG 13. Yeah. But it's like as soon as you see it out of there, it's like, oh, rated R. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to say. It's the same act. Yeah. Like I think in the Kill Bill Volume 1, they mm-hmm. go black and white during this one sequence. And I want to say that might be the reason was to keep a certain rating but that may not be well right. it's r it is r Still. yeah yeah know. there's no way kill bill is pg that's true yeah you're right there's no way i don't know i mean i could have swore i read that somewhere but mm. um but i mean she's just 
you know, slaughtering those guys, and there's mm-hmm. lots of spraying of blood, but it's mm. black and white. You can't see the red. I don't know. What what specific thing will upset people? It's like you can't. It's, it's so mm-hmm. hard to to quantify and to to understand what's going to cause people to like object or not. You know. Mm-hmm. I think severed limbs is definitely a big thing, but then again, it's like that's like even becoming more okay. It, like what was it like in the second Avengers? Like one of the guys gets like his or Andy Serkis's character gets his arm chopped off, and it's like what you know or like and you see the severed arm. Um, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Or Star Wars. Yeah, I was going to say, know. Star Wars, that happens in several Multiple of them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Of um, course, with that, there's no Lord more. of the Rings. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, like, lots of orcs getting their heads chopped off and arms chopped and off human and other heads. ligaments. And human heads at one And point. human heads getting launched, yeah, yeah into Gondor. Right. Mm-hmm. I think for me, yeah, the head, severed head is, like, pretty, really pretty bad, pretty up there. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, I can take a severed arm and it not be as bad, but... That might be something for me. It's like, then maybe that's my line. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I for me, it's like I well, I just can't stand in movies like if someone like gets their head chopped off and like the body is still like walking around or like falls over and moves. Like I cannot handle that. Like Hot Fuzz, one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I still have to look away at the part whenever the guy has the spike fall on top of him and like oh, yeah. his head just like gets crushed and he just starts like walking around and then falls over i'm like nope oh yeah i can't do that and then in, in uh Shaun of the dead when the one dude gets just oh, ripped apart by the zombie i can't watch that that's either that's a hard one to watch uh, even though i know <sighs> it's like really over the top and so it's not supposed to be that bad but it's like you just see them claw their hands in his stomach and rip all of his mm-hmm. guts out in his stomach and just the mm-hmm. look on his face is like oh, oh. yeah nope <laughs> nope yeah. Can't do it. No, I'm with you there. I usually will look away and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thankfully, there's none of that. But yeah, um, there's still some some tough stuff. But I mean, this is pretty tame for what could have been shown too. Like, yeah, they didn't show any body parts. I don't think. No, just like reports of stuff from the war. I mean, it's just some of the most gruesome stuff I've ever heard in my entire life. Like Robert Graves said again that whenever there's a gas attack in like the trenches and so he was able to put his mask on but one of the guys next to him wasn't able to and like fell down like gasping for air and was like scratching at his throat to like Oof. try to breathe and then like ended up scratching through and like ripping his own like throat out of himself to try to breathe and oh my gosh yeah Ugh. yeah that's gruesome yeah mm-hmm. yeah and this was like the first war where they had that kind of warfare right that toxic mm-hmm. gas the next step in the evolution of war. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of just really brutal stuff that came through in this war. and mm-hmm. oh, I mean, just the stuff that these soldiers saw, it's like I just don't understand how you could go back to normal life and just not have that haunt you mm-hmm. like every second of every day. Yeah. It's so horrifying. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of them did. Yeah, they yeah. had that experience. Uh, totally. PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just fascinating how they had to use, like, humor to kind of stay sane in the trenches. Like, the story, there was, like, this man who was, like, shot. And, like, whenever he got shot, like, his right arm, like, rigor mortis set in, and his right arm was just, like, sticking out. But they couldn't, like, get him out of the trenches, and so they had to, like, put him in there. But his arm was still, like, sticking out in the walkway. And so people would just, like, have to walk around, or they'd, like, walk by and shake hands with him and, like, you know, just do all that sort of stuff. And it's, like, that's... 
Like they just had to make light of the situation mm-hmm. in order to stay sane throughout right. it. In order to not just wallow in despair and just, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, go down a really dark path. Or even just like joking about the way that they saw like people die and all that. It's like, it's just like horrifying stuff. Like when you think about it, like in like quote unquote, like civilian life and all that, it's like completely unacceptable. But, it, yeah. you know, just it takes on like a different tone whenever you know, you're facing these sorts of things every single day. And it's like, you almost have to make light of the situation. Yeah. It's just a way they cope. And just get exactly. It. It's a survival thing, you know, mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. brain just does that. Well, you got anything else? Or I mean, time? I just, I just want to keep on talking about World War One. <laughs> <laughs> the question that we've been asking throughout the series, how truthful do you think this documentary is? Oh, yeah. Um, gosh, I mean, hopefully the most truthful you know they tell their own story i mean how much more truthful Mm. can you get you know there's Mm -hmm. not a i don't think there's a slant to the documentary at all one way or the other i think it's just kind of bare bones it's just laid to bear right there i think it's very accurate i think it's of all the ones we've done so far this is probably the most truthful yeah what about you i totally agree i mean there is a sense of like oh it's not truthful because there's sound added in and there's color added in, you know, it's just like, it's like altering the footage, but in the sense of like accuracy of events, I think it is pretty, pretty spot on. And I feel like it's, it'd be hard to really skew a lot of stuff whenever you're being funded by like the Imperial War Museum, you know, like (laughs) it's, that's just like, it would be unacceptable to just throw in like all these false facts. And the fact of the story just being told by soldiers yeah, it's I mean, like they're not gonna say anything wrong <laughs> they were there right it's like y- you, you can't yeah you can't said? do that <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like they can't alter the footage you know it's not like they're gonna photoshop a 50s plane flying in <laughs> to like drop right. a bomb somewhere yeah how much more truthful and honest can you get right especially because it's not it's not going into the specifics of like this is how many men died on this battlefield and this is how you know mm-hmm this battle actually turned out but it's just like it's just that would have weighed it down stories you know it's like all those details would have would have made it not as effective it's a very clean cut documentary it's like one of the most concise documentaries i've Mm -hmm. ever seen especially when considering all the material that they could have used it's you know it just seems very finely tuned because they had to go through everything with a comb you know like just like narrow all this stuff down yeah i'd love to see another uh, another documentary with the same kind of treatment, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe you could just tackle World War Two, just pick a specific area or something, and just kind of use that mm-hmm. same style, you know. I'd like to see that. Yeah, it could have been a film about any one of the battles mm-hmm. in World War One, because it's like most of these battles would go on for like months at a time, you know, just constant shelling and landmarks and stuff would be like tattered and destroyed, and there'd just be like nothing left. Yeah so many individual stories too it could have just been the story about like one of these soldiers mm-hmm. like with all of the audio audio stuff that they had it could easily have been so long and like jackson's like you know i'd love to make like a six-hour documentary on <laughs> world war one but you know i can't do that right now don't have the money for that it's too bad it's like why couldn't he have done a three-part series or something or why, why oh couldn't my this gosh. have been why couldn't it have been a tv thing you know yeah it's like i wonder wh- i think there was a I wonder why it had to be a movie in like a, like a mm-hmm. single hour and a half. It seems like mm-hmm. you know, Ken Burns documentaries, those are super long. It's like, why couldn't he have yeah. done something similar? 
and this is like almost the opposite of a Ken Burns documentary. Yeah. Where that is like tries to cover like every single detail of it. And it's like a lot of historians talking. It's a very like historical, very like fact based sort of thing, which is good. Like Mm -hmm. his documentaries are incredible, but it just like this seems much more just about like an overall story with no specifics. And that's like the opposite of what he does. Yeah. Um, but I think it really has a quality to it where it's like this is something that can be released in theaters and that was released in theaters right. and that, you know, people can see on the big screen. And there's like yeah. that cinematic quality to it that I feel like is lacking in a lot of documentaries. It's true. And he said like originally it started off that it was going to be a 30 minute documentary wow. and then it changed into a 60 minute documentary and then an hour and a half documentary. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. yeah, that's understandable. 90 minutes is still still be powerful yeah uh, a powerful product i'm definitely gonna buy this on blu-ray <laughs> about 4k connor 4k maybe blu-ray. i don't have a 4k player <laughs> or a 4k tv well no i do have a 4k tv but no i'm just kidding not 4k is not for everybody only for the i love it only then. for the elite <laughs> <laughs> my gosh don't offend our viewers riley <laughs> oh man it's worth it to me I guess I can stop talking about it now. (laughs) That will get into the trivia and challenge. Well, you got the first question. That was... Yes. What was Peter Jackson's first film? But I'm going to put in a replacement question. Okay. Do you have a backup on hand? I just thought of one. Okay. (laughs) Nice. Uh, It was just a fact that I was going to mention that I forgot to. Okay. How many hours of film footage did they go through to narrow it down to this? Was it 100? It was 100 hours. Correct. That's right. It was 100, 100 hours of video, 600 hours of audio. Yes. Right, yeah. This is where it becomes more of a history quiz. Oh, gosh. So the Somme was one of the bloodiest battlefields in World War One, and is often... S-O-M-M-E? Yes. And what people often think of when they think of trench warfare. How many British casualties were there on their first day of their offensive? A, 5,000. B, 60,000. C, 38,000, or D, none? Mm, this could be a trick question. Connor could be tricking me. Is it a trick question? I'm going to stare into his eyes. All I see is black. My digital All eyes. I see is blackness. Connor has no soul. I'm going to go with 38,000. Final answer? Final answer. That's incorrect. It was 60,000. Dang. Yeah, in one day. It was supposed to be their big plan to completely push out the German defense and went completely wrong. Okay. Next question. Which of these countries declared war on Germany? Was it A, Japan, B, Mexico, C, Switzerland, or D, Norway? (laughs) I'd be really surprised if it was Norway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I have to go with Japan. Final answer? Makes the most sense to me. Yeah, final answer. That's correct. Japan joined in and fought with the Allies. That's interesting. <laughs> so they were mm-hmm. right on our side for World War One. Wow. All right. Are you ready for your challenge? No. Can we just, can we just end <laughs> the podcast right now? Nope. <laughs> okay. All right. What is it? Uh, I believe there were over 30 countries that ended up fighting in World War One. Can you name 10 of them? Uh, United States, Russia, mm-hmm. France, mm-hmm. Japan, mm-hmm. Germany, Mm-hmm. Um, Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. 
Wow, I'm surprised you got yeah, that one. Um, I remember seeing that. Um, You're still missing the two that started the war. It was assass- the assassination of Ferdinand. The bull. <laughs> Ferdinand the bull. Um, Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Was it Prussia? Nope. Spain? Nope. No. It got split up into two different, or multiple countries, but the name got split up into two different countries. See, that's the one I think I saw, and I'm trying to remember it. One of them has the opera capital of the world. For some reason, I instantly thought of Australia because of the... Well, that's one of them. Oh, really? Australia, Australia fought in the war. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not... Sorry, that's not one of the ones that started it, but that is a country right. that would fought okay, here. awesome. Yeah, because I was thinking of the Opera House, the Sydney Opera House. Oh. Um, is it not Italy? Well, Italy did fight in the war, too. Okay. You're also missing... The country that this documentary is about. Oh, yeah. Eng- uh, yeah, uh, Britain. Yeah. Um, Remember Lawrence of Arabia? Yeah, where were they? I forgot. <laughs> okay, I can probably just think of another country. There's probably... Mm-hmm. There were only like four countries on the that we were fighting against. Four big ones, right? The Central Powers? Yeah, the Central. And you're missing two of the big ones. Yeah. Uh Whenever U.S. soldiers couldn't, or U.S. citizens couldn't go to fight in the war, where would they go? Oh, Canada? Yep. Oh, okay. Damn Canadians. So nice. Um, One more. You can do it. Austria. Yes. What's the whole of it? Austria-Hungary. Yes. Okay. There you go. That's the one. That's ten. Okay. That's right. I remember reading that now a serbian um assassin killed the austria-hungarian okay. archduke serbia interesting man i'm so glad i Tread. like i didn't research much for the history part that you told me to mm-hmm. i just like okay i better at least know who are the key players here you know and so i, yeah. I got several of them through that so uh the ottoman empire that was the one in um lawrence of arabia oh, okay like turkey oh mm-hmm. that's right okay brazil was there peru china romania Greece, Portugal, Montenegro, um, Belgium, yeah, mm, okay, all over, yeah, Serbia, yeah. Dang. Okay, well, that was a fun one. Um, yeah, Peter Jackson. Who knows what he's up to next? Do you know <laughs> what he's up to next? I think it's just the Beatles documentary. Oh, the, the Beatles. Either that or the Tintin sequel that they've been talking about for like eight years. I did hear about that. I still need to watch the first one. Oh, it's really good. And do you remember who helped write it? Uh, this is a question that you right, asked me. Edgar Wright. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Stephen Moffat also yeah, helped write it too. Play. Who's Joe Cornish? Mm-hmm. Do you know who he is? Yeah, he's like friends with Edgar Wright. Okay. Collaborators. Yeah, I think they worked on Ant-Man together. Okay. Cool. There it is. That's the end of our documentary series. That's right. Mm-hmm. This is a good one because it stretched us, you know? Yeah. It stretched our... Uh, podcasting ability yeah, podcasting abilities yeah our podcasting chops this is also like our first um recommended film too that we took up that's true so this is this is for you maggie hardy that's right yes it was a good pick anxious to hear what she thinks of it so yes do you want to introduce our next series that we're going into yeah so we are revisiting the wonderful world of animation <laughs> yes uh, not the wonderful world of Disney, although we probably will have one of those in there. But uh, I don't know about for this series. 
Yeah, maybe we don't. Maybe we don't have any of those in the docket. <laughs> That's right. We're going to take a look at some some more animated movies and kind of with a theme of of who are the animation underdogs. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. there's a lot of movies out there that fly under the radar and aren't well known, and we want to bring some of those to light, bring some studios to light, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just have a, a grand old time. Yeah, everyone knows Disney and Pixar yeah. and DreamWorks and Illumination and all that sort of stuff. But there's a lot of good stuff that you probably missed out on. Yes. So a lot of really good. We're stuff, digging yeah. deep into animation. Yes. So, um, yeah, we're really excited. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. want to speak for Connor, but I just I could talk the longest probably about animation than I can anything else. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and we also have another big announcement coming up. I'm not going to say what it is right now, right. but yeah. Also. We are taking a little break in between this and uh, the first one in our animation series, but we do have uh, another episode that we recorded a while back with a friend of ours. His name is Nigel Bluck. He was one of the cinematographers on True Detective, and he also was the cinematographer on a film coming out called The Peanut Butter Falcon, and he was like assistant cinematographer on Deadpool, and he was also like second unit cinematographer on the Lord of the Rings trilogy, so... It's a fun one. It's a film called Tulane Blacktop. It's not super well known, but you should definitely look it up and see the film beforehand because it's a good episode. Definitely the best film James Taylor has ever acted in by far. <laughs> the and only. also the worst. And yeah, true, so it? yeah, both. <laughs> that's true. And Dennis Wilson as well, one of the Beach Boys. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so it's mm-hmm. a unique film. It's an incredible one. Film history. Tulane Blacktop yeah. coming up in a bit. Yeah. We got to say thanks to John Skinner for the use of the graphic and to Luke Hogan and Caden Reed for the theme song. Uh, also, please make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that good sort of stuff. Or if you want to email us like old fashioned way, please do so. Just just get out your typewriter and load some paper and start clocking away. Send us a letter. We'll get a P.O. box yeah, we don't have and a you box. can send it in to us yeah <laughs> but yeah just let us know just what write, you think of the show just and write on the envelope rules of the frame and it'll it'll make its way to us right send us a carrier pigeon like in world war one yeah. or a, what is it a falcon it'll what is the us. thing that Sokka has in the last airbender or avatar oh. uh, the the, car- the falcon carrier falcon i don't know carrier falcon Messenger i don't really remember falcon. that probably something along those lines <laughs> yes whatever that is <laughs> yeah let us know what you think of the show and we'll get back to you on that and recommend a film because who knows we may cover it that's right this has been film analysis for a modern audience mm-hmm.